Welcome back to the Awake Podcast. On this episode, we are talking with our good friend, Brandon Marshall, the Brandon Marshall. If you don't know him, you will know him. He's an incredible storyteller, and this episode is going to bless your life, enrich your life. So we're excited for you to be part of this conversation. Here we go. Hey, and we're back at the Awake Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Kat. And I'm your host, Jen. And our guest today is not a woman. <laughs> He's the furthest thing. Um, it's our friend Brandon Marshall. We were just talking before we were before we went uh, before we started recording about how long we've actually known each other, and it's almost a couple of decades. I can't believe how much time oh, has pretty, gone by. So unreal. many things have happened, but I'm so grateful. Kat and I are both so grateful to have you in our life. Mm. Yeah, we we have experienced um, raising kids together. Mm-hmm. We've experienced. Um, being part of some of the plans and dreams that you guys have, like from your entrepreneurship. Um, we've had your wife on our podcast, Sarah Marshall. Yeah. She came and talked to us about finances. Um, they're the owners of Texan Wealth Management and Texas Wealth Insurance. Texas. Texan. Texan. Texan in- mm-hmm. uh-huh. Insurance. Insurance. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but Brandon is a public speaker and never saw that as his career path. But we're going to learn a little bit more about how that came to be. And um, I, I think I already said that he's an incredible storyteller, but I mm-hmm. just reiterate that. Yeah. One of the best, for sure. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, Brandon. Yeah. No, no, not at all. I'm thrilled to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity. I, I, uh, I love you guys, and we have been through a lot of life together. So laughed a lot, had a lot of fun, cried a lot. I mean, all, you name it. So, yeah, why not? Well, what do we need to know about you in terms of context for your background? Like, what oh. do you want? What do you want our audience to know about you? Like, oh gosh, uh, I don't even know where to start. Like, I've I've done a lot of different things. I I say that I've lived a lot of lifetimes in forty almost forty two years, um, but um, there's been some consistencies and there's been some change. But um, I think that there's more common threads of consistency than there are, you know, just huge changes. Uh, the majority of the change I've experienced has happened over the last couple of years. Hmm. Um, you know, I had one job since I was 18 with the linen company, linen uniform company. I did that for almost 20 years and really kind of never saw anything outside of that. And then all of that changed. You know, we went to one church for the last 20 years and then, you know, we're at a different church. And so um, for forever, there was just a real consistency and not a lot of change about our life. We didn't move a lot. We didn't do things, you know, all crazy. Um, and then all of a sudden, a couple of years ago, everything changed and life is completely different. And mm-hmm. uh, it's good. There's no no um, no negative side of that. It's just it was unexpected. And, mm-hmm. you know, so working through that and working through uh, that transition process with people and with different things has been uh, an experience. But um, now that I've done it and now that I'm not afraid of it, you know, I kind of welcome change. Whereas used to, I would be so uncomfortable. I would never mm-hmm. do anything different, you know? Um, so yeah, it's been good. So you, I came into your life, cat mm-hmm. a year after me, but in a time where life was really consistent and, and you were in the church and you were serving you and your wife were, and, um, and, but there was a lot of life, as you said, lived before that point. Mm-hmm. And so can you talk to us about your childhood and growing up? 
yeah, yeah sure. real fast. I was just thinking as you were saying that, I wonder if that's why you were so consistent for so many years is mm-hmm. because it was a place of security to be mm. safe and and consistent for a de- for two decades, mm-hmm. given how you grew up. Yeah, yeah. When Sarah and I got married, we the one thing that we said um, and agreed on one hundred percent was that we were going to be stable. Mm-hmm. If we didn't do anything else, we were going to be stable. We were not going to move, you know, all around. Um, both of us grew up in environments where we moved a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad uh, was a pastor, but even before that, you know, when I was young, I can remember moving. Uh, we lived in oh several different houses just growing up, and um, financially, it was always sort of a struggle uh, growing up. I, I didn't know any different. I just thought we were getting a new house. I didn't know it was because... You know, we were six months behind on rent and things mm-hmm. like that. And so um, it was just kind of the way of life. And I just got, I used to resent that part of my life, like bouncing around from here to there. Um, McKinney was always home base, but we would go somewhere for a year and come back. Or we mm-hmm. would go across town for a year and then end up back in the same position. And it was just never, never steady. And so um, one of the things that we decided was we were going to be stable because I hated that part of my life. Mm-hmm. I hated always being a new kid. I went to five different high schools, um, you know, all those things, and there was just no solidity. Um, mm-hmm. But now looking back on my life and what I do for a living and what I've been blessed to be able to do, um, getting to know people quickly and develop relationships mm-hmm. quickly mm-hmm. is something I developed during that time, so I'm actually kind of grateful for it. But then mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't easy. It wasn't anything to be, you know, be proud of by any stretch. Um, so, you know, growing up with a dad who um, always worked hard, you know, he and my mom did the best they could, and uh, but pursuing the ministry was something that his family, my grandparents and, you know, people around thought was just a ridiculous concept because it had never been done in our family. And mm-hmm. um, I got to see the behind the scenes of how the church operated. I got to see the ugliness of people and the viciousness that, you know, People will never understand um, the types of things that pastors encounter and the type mm-hmm. of um, um, just weight that that carries. You know, I can remember watching him cry and doing these things and, and you know, never having enough um, because you're relying on people. You're relying on these different things. Mm-hmm. And so that developed a mentality in me where I never wanted to do it, mm-hmm. ever. And um, I never thought I would. But, you know, I did, (laughs) so, and have and still do. And it's just, it's one of the most beautiful parts of my life. You know, I, um, Sarah and I went to a church in McKinney for a long time. Um, And it was in that church uh, where I met Jennifer. And -hmm. Jennifer said, hey, there's a a need for somebody to teach the boys in the children's church. Would you do it? And I said, yes. Not even knowing what I was agreeing to, I said yes, not knowing, having no idea where that would take me in my life. I had no clue, no idea at the time. And I don't even know why I said yes, but I'm grateful that I did. Mm. And in that, I discovered a lot. Um, So, but yeah, growing up was not, uh, it was not easy. Um, 
I was a chubby kid, which made it that much worse. So <laughs> not only are you the new kid everywhere, you're the last kid picking dodgeball. And, oh. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, this is my sob story. Uh, I <laughs> ate too many cupcakes and it ruined my life. And yeah, No, I'm kidding. Uh, but it will. So if you're listening to this, put the cupcake down and, <laughs> and uh, have, a, have a celery or something. Uh, but, yeah, so, um, so it was difficult in that respect, but um, I didn't know any better at the time. So, so your dad pastored a church when you were how old? Um, he started being in the ministry as a youth pastor mm. uh, before I was old enough to be in youth. And I think at that time you had to be 13. So I would have been probably 10 or 11 mm-hmm. when he first started doing that. And um, it was a denominational church, uh, which I have my own opinions about. I won't speak to here, but, um, but in denominational churches there is a council or someone a higher level that kind of runs everything and so mm-hmm. uh, it can be very political which was the cause for a lot of hurt and some mm-hmm. of the ugliness and um, again one of the reasons I never wanted to do this but yeah he started when I was probably 10 or 11 and that went all the way through till I was uh, 15 almost 16 so about five or six year stretch mm-hmm. yeah so and uh, so in the course of all that we uh, he took a church in Arkansas and Arkansas is uh, where I actually graduated high school, but don't tell anybody else because <laughs> then they assume that I can't spell or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we, we had a church in Arkansas for a while, and, and um, it was a decent experience, um, but uh, that was cut short. And, uh, yeah. So it, during that period of time, um, again, finances were always tight. Everything was... It was really, really strange. We had moved to a different state for the first time ever, uh, so there was a lot of that going on. And uh, my brother and I was trying to, we were trying to get our bearings, and um, I ended up making a mistake during that period of time that cost my dad his church. And that was sort of the beginning of uh, a, a crazy spiral of events uh, for the rest of my life. So um, I, um, I was... Um, I had an affair with a, um, um, she was our Sunday school teacher and my dad's associate pastor. Uh, she was 32 years old and I was 15. And, um, you know, I don't consider myself a victim, even though, you know, I know full well, had I been female and that was a male, that would have been a much different story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just not the way it went. And um, so mm-hmm. I was blamed for a lot of different things. Um, I mean, it was a very just hurtful, hurtful time. And this went on for about a year until it was discovered. And um, um, and at that point, my dad was asked to leave the church and um, they ended up leaving Arkansas and came back to Texas and I stayed there. Hmm. And um, so that, that period of time, you know, when you're 15 and your family's driving away and you're on the sidewalk waving at them. Wow. Um, I lived in the back of a grocery store. I had gotten a job at uh, Piggly Wiggly. I don't know if you all are familiar with the <laughs> yep. great conglomerate that I is figure Piggly we Wiggly. I old enough to be alive during Piggly Wiggly days. Yeah, no, the Piggly Wiggly was a thing in that in that town. It was the grocery store, and I had I had a job there, um, just sacking groceries. And the owner was nice enough to uh, he set up a cot in the back, and uh, that's where I finished high school. I had. Um, good friends of mine that uh that i would go to their house and take showers and eat dinner with on occasion i had you know football practice i had plenty 
to keep me to keep me occupied, um, and uh, I made it. I, yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you something? Yes, ma'am. And you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but I'm curious why in why you view that as an affair versus um, abuse. sexual abuse. Well, I've I've never considered myself to be a victim in that. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the time, um, I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought that, um, honestly, I thought I was in love. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, the first time that anything like that had ever happened, that pe- that someone had showed me attention in that manner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't the best-looking kid in the, in the world um, or the most charismatic or any of those things. You know, I was, I was shy. I was... Um, afraid. I spent most of my life afraid up until that point. Um, and so when she showed any kind of attention, obviously I gravitated toward that. And um, and she took advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one day we were at her house. Um, my brother and his friend were supposed to meet us there. I had rode with her. And um, she asked if I wanted to call them to see where they were at. And I said, yeah, sure. And as I got up, she came out of the room uh, with no clothes on and said, mm-hmm. are you sure? And, uh, wow. I was not sure. And so that's how that started. And I really felt like, I don't know why I imagined that I had fallen in love with this lady. Um, but the day that it all came down and, and so I would, I would skip school and go to her house uh, they had a travel trailer outside, and I would hide in the travel trailer until the kids were at school and all of that, and then mm-hmm. she would come and get me, and we would spend the day together. And uh, one day, uh, we were in the house, and my dad and mom came knocking on the door looking for me. Wow. No idea how they knew I was there. Obviously, we didn't answer the door, but, um, you know, so she was freaking out. Um and at, when they left, about an hour later, she took me home. And um, as we were driving home, she was in a panic. And I was like, what's the big deal? You know, I thought that this was, you know, what you wanted. And she looked at me and said, um, what are you going to do, take care of us? You don't. You work at a grocery store. You don't have a driver's license. Uh, you are nothing. Wow. And that was the first time that I really... I mean, I was dropped on my head uh, mm-hmm. by somebody who I thought cared about me and that um, we had developed this relationship and it was not that way. And mm-hmm. I didn't know. I wasn't old enough to know that it could never be that way. I wasn't old enough to realize that, but I remember just how vicious things got when life was on the line. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it was it was a different situation. So, um, so that's how that happened. And... Um, and her husband, who I, you know, he was a great guy, um, still is, I assume, I don't know, but um, they were they were members of the church, and mm-hmm. their family were founding members of the church, and so my dad, um, after a period of probably six months after that, was asked to leave, and I still had no concept of what I had done or what or how grave it was. Um, it was um, it was pretty brutal. Thinking like as a fifteen-year-old, <clears throat> you you don't have the maturity 
to think about the weight of your actions and being mm. them being residual, but or the fact that it should never have happened, but not because of your choices, right? But because of the adult in the situation, mm. it should have never happened. Mm-hmm. And so it it makes sense why you would why you would not see yourself as a victim, but I, but I, the truth is like. It shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there's no way for you to even think about, like, this is impacting my father's job and all the mm-hmm. people in the town. And, like, I, I can't – What? how weighty. Like, that's so weighty. And no wonder you – Yeah. I had no idea. I had no um, no clue how how much it was. And, no, and the thing is, nobody ever told me it's not your fault. Uh, wow. In fact, quite the opposite. Nobody Nobody blamed her. Wow. Um, wow. Everybody blamed me. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I mean, he came. Her husband came to my house, uh, showed up at my house, and uh, was, I assume, going to try and kill me. And uh, it was my brother who stopped it. Wow! Not anybody else in that house. And uh, that is something that I have never told anybody. Mm. Um, but it's the truth. And uh, I have found, uh, months later, I found a shoebox somewhere. I don't remember what I was doing, but, um, and that shoebox had letters in it uh, that my mom had written to creditors, to the rent people, explaining why they couldn't pay the rent, why they couldn't make the car payment, why they couldn't do these things. And I was the reason. I was being blamed for all of that. Um, not that I was taken advantage of by an older woman, not that I was abused, not that any of that, but that I had done this and brought this on the family. And so, you know, people can say whatever they want about um, how how hurt the family must have been and how hurt my dad must have been, but I will tell you, you don't know nothing about hurt feelings. Oh, I can't even Until imagine. you've read a letter like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so yeah, they made the decision to come back to Texas. And it's not like they said yeah, I couldn't come with them, um, but they certainly didn't ask, and I knew better. So mm-hmm. it's what it was. And um, So at 15, you're mm-hmm. in this <clears throat> situation that, in my opinion, it was not your fault. Um, you were taken advantage of and then blamed for, and then left. To raise yourself. How? We have 15-year-olds. We all, well, you just have now have a 16-year-old. Could you imagine Silas raising himself? No. No, I couldn't. And I, uh, I, I, I don't know how to explain the feeling of being let down and, uh, and dropped. I was dropped by people who I thought loved me. I was dropped subsequently by people who did love me and should have. Um, yeah, it was not. Uh, but at the time, like I said, I didn't. I, I, you don't realize trauma sometimes until it starts to manifest itself in other things in your life. <laughs> I had no idea. Like Listen. I didn't know. Hey, this <laughs> that is a very familiar experience. I yeah. I, you know, that's what this year's. That's what 2020 was for me, and probably for, you could say the same yeah, for sure. But I mean, not so. 
my, I have a great relationship with my family now. Uh, my parents, my sisters and brothers. Um, my younger brother is nine years younger than me. And my sister is 12 years younger than me. And uh, we were very, very close. They had just a much different upbringing than me and my older brother had. Um, it was just night and day. And I think that moving back to Texas, my family kind of realized um, and saw it as a, a fresh start again, which there were a lot of those. But uh, they moved to a little town called Heiko, Texas. And my little brother and sister were raised from about the first grade on there. And so they had the experience of going through the same school with the same kids mm -hmm. for the whole time. And, and so when I saw that, I, I really kind of wanted to provide that for my kids, which is one of the reasons we decided to be stable and not do a lot of moving and, and this kind of thing. So um, it was just a much different upbringing. So for them to hear something like this would be um, complete shock. <laughs> do they know any of this? They know bits and pieces. Uh, I've always... Uh, but I, again, I like I never considered myself to be a victim, so I never harped on this. I never talked about it. I just let it be what it was and maintained, you know, this distance, which is sad. Um, I do think that a conversation like this in 2021 is different than than even 10 years ago, 20 years ago for sure, and 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 25, mm -hmm. you know, back when it actually happened. So. I think um, there's grace for a conversation like this where there wasn't before, probably. Mm. Yeah. You know, I would never want to say anything that would make, you know, my family feel sure um, any certain way. All I can tell you is what happened. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure that I have already, in my short time of being a parent, made mistakes. And uh, and it wasn't like they didn't love me or any of those things. I think that it was just a shock, and they didn't know exactly what to do. Man, it's hard. It's it's a mm -hmm. it is weird to be an adult and then address your parents' decisions and and recognize them as an adult. Like, oh, I, for me, I've had a lot of those moments where I'm like, they really did do the best that they could at this, in the time that they right with what with what tools they had like I, I do believe that in many situations that they really <coughs> just didn't know how to handle things and so their decisions are impacted yeah and that you know you look back at things that you're doing as a parent and you go gosh I hope I don't uh, make my kids feel a certain way or repeat some of the things that I went through and then undoubtedly you'll identify one or two things you're like oh my god I am becoming my parents. This <laughs> so I feel like I have uh, modeled counseling for my kids so that when I do mess up, they'll be <laughs> comfortable going to a counselor and sitting in an office and talking about it. Cause I, I, you know, it's bound to happen. It's just yeah. bound to happen. Yeah. So you're 15, you're raising yourself. What did that look like? How did you get from 15 to this mature grown up? version of yourself that's like full functioning and stable <laughs> I, I hope all those things are true mature are grown true. up they stable functional uh, yeah no so um once i finished school uh, i ended up coming back to texas and uh, i had uh, one con one constant in my whole life uh was uh, my best friend at the time whose name was robert and uh, we were we went to the same daycare we had always just been in touch for years and years and years and he was 
uh, truly, you know, my best friend. And so he actually came to Arkansas and picked me up and said, hey, come back to Texas. And um, so I was excited, and, and um, I came back. Um, and I did not know at the time where his life had gone because we'd been apart for a couple of years, which is the longest we had ever been apart in our lives. And um, he um, he had recently um, discovered um, his dad, um, who was a great person. Um, I was with him when we were 15. Uh, we had uh, He was 15, I was 14, right before we went to Arkansas. Um, his, uh, his uncle showed up at the house and, uh, said, your dad would like to see you. And he had never seen his dad. And so that relationship developed. And so when I went to Arkansas, they had been spending quite a bit of time together. So when I came back to Texas, he was a major part of his life. And, um, so we had, uh, we had a lot of fun, uh, just, you know, working and, and doing different things, finding odd jobs. And um, his uncles at the time were, uh, uh, who he had just met, uh, were uh, into some stuff that um, that I should have never been introduced to, mm-hmm. um, but I was, and it was fast money. Um, I mean, I can say what it is. Yeah. So his uncles were... Um, runners i'll call them for uh, which at the time the cartel was not as popular as it is now the 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 concept of the cartel and all those different things but that's who they were and um so he introduced us to uh his uncles and um you know his uncle saw me as a as a great opportunity Mm -hmm. uh, because i was white because i was english speaking because Mm -hmm. i was all these things and and uh, at that point in time i had developed a uh by necessity a way to speak to people and get close to people quickly and so they utilized that and I became a cocaine dealer at the ripe age of uh, not quite 18 years old Mm. and uh, so that was uh, that's how that all started and and that went on gosh uh, officially until after I was married Um, unofficially it was more like you know just a few years, but, uh, um, yeah. So I, so that whole side of my life, which was just a complete shock to me, but at that point I had learned, um, that I could either be poor the rest of my life or I could do whatever necessary to make sure that didn't happen. Mm. And I think growing up with nothing, um, my judgment was clouded on how to get things and have things. And what I didn't realize was I was creating a prison for myself because even though I had tons of money, I couldn't do anything with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was subject to everything that I was told to do. I couldn't step out of line. I couldn't disrespect. I couldn't do these things. And um, you know what's funny though? Even in that, like I found a great deal of favor with these people. Wow! It was unbelievable. Like things that nobody got away with. I got away with mm-hmm. things that no no perks that people did not have I had wow and it was so strange and I had no idea at the time that that was a thing in my life I had no clue that favor existed with God or with man or with anybody mm-hmm. all I know is that I had lived a great deal of it up until that point and still I look back on it and go God I mean <laughs> you guys have no idea how many times I almost didn't get to meet you I remember one story in particular that you told me. I don't know if you're comfortable yeah, <laughs> sharing, yeah. but 
that involved you with him. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, you, you tell it. <laughs> so I think I've told you a couple. Which, mm-hmm. uh, so I'll, I'll tell you the one that I've told the most. I've, um, and that when I say the most, it's only been a few times. But um, So I was living with uh, Robert, uh, who was my best friend, roommate. He was not involved. Uh, the uncles wanted to make sure that he was um, that he was not spared, mm-hmm. like they yeah. were protecting him. Yeah, um, which at the time I looked at it and I'm like, oh, that's an honorable thing, um, <laughs> except that they weren't sparing me. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. So, yeah. um, so I was home and uh, and Robert was at work at his regular job, and uh, I heard the door open and I was in the back laying on the bed, you know, watching TV or doing something. Uh, not doing a lot that day, and I just assumed it was him. So I start mm-hmm. hollering like, "Hey, man, come back here!" You know, whatever. And um, before I knew it, um, I was being assaulted, uh, thrown on the ground uh, with a pillowcase mm-hmm. on my head, um, and a gun to the back of my head. And I was being told in English and Spanish um, to call my mom. And um, so I picked the phone up. Uh, wow. They, they dialed the number, and this was on so a landline. So they knew it. They knew yeah. it already. You didn't have to tell them. The I number. did not tell them. Oh, I had wow. no idea who these people were. Right, right. I mean, I had an idea, but I didn't know why they were there. I didn't have any clue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, they put the phone to my ear, and my mom was on the other line, and they were telling me, uh, "Tell her that you're never going to see her again. Oh, tell her goodness. that you're sorry," um, and all these things, and. I'm telling my mom, which they I, they had no idea that I hadn't been home forever. Mm-hmm. They had no idea that that didn't mean anything to me. Right. It yeah. didn't. Right. Mm-hmm. It didn't mean anything to me to be telling her that. Um, I'm sure it meant something to her. I was going to ask you if that ever came up. Um, no. No, it hasn't. Never. Ever. She remembers the event, but we have never... Um, we might have talked about it one time, but she, I don't think, will ever understand the extent of it. What was going through your mind when that was happening? Uh, <laughs> what's so funny is that what was going through my mind was that I could smell the fabric softener on the pillowcase. And I remember thinking, Robert did laundry. <laughs> he never does laundry. And that's what was going through my wow. head. Until I got to the point where... Um, I realized how serious it was, and I realized it was like a flip, a switch flipped in me, and I started thinking about my little brother. Um, so were you were you ready to leave life? Like, was it okay with you, or were you? Yeah, yeah, it was okay. It was okay because I didn't. Um, I was at that point surprised that I had made it that far. Hmm. Um, I always knew that that would be part of the game. I always knew that that would be probably uh, end up being the result and that that would be better than prison. Um, and so I, I was almost relieved um, that that was that. I did not know the Lord. I knew about the Lord. Um, and those are two very different things. Mm-hmm. I grew up in church. I grew up uh, in a preacher's home and being preached to in Scripture and all these things. And I knew about the Lord, but I had no idea who he was. Um, I had no concept of what it meant to love anybody, 
because every everything I thought was love up to that point hadn't had not been. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought if that's love, then I want no part of it. Um, but I started thinking about my little brother, and I started telling my mom, um, "Tell Caleb to be a good man. Um, tell him I love him. Tell him I'm sorry I won't make his football game. Tell him." And in that moment, the only if people think, why? So my little brother's a knucklehead. I mean, everybody knows that, <laughs> right? Caleb is this wildcat. He's always been just this handsome, charismatic kid, and just all these things. And I have always done my best to take care of him. Um, he and people go, why? Why do you put up with him so much? You know, after all these things, and um, because at a time where my life flashed in front of my eyes, he was the only thing I could see. He was all the love I had to give. And I am convinced that love saved my life. Wow. I think if I had not found that love in that moment, that I would be dead. Hmm. Um, but in the middle of a the conversation, they hang the phone up. Um, a pager went off, and that was it. I was hit over the head and left bleeding in the floor. And never knew, never asked. You know, obviously the uncles found out about it. Um, I don't know what happened uh, to anyone as a result of that. I have no clue what, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure somebody paid for it. Mm -hmm. I just don't know what the cost was. Wow. Um, So you were protected. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, I was... was, um, um, valued and protected. I had a personal protector who, um, after that point, was assigned to me, uh, named Angel. Uh, That's funny. Very, very cool, cool That's guy. Great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very cool guy. Uh, tattoos all over his face. Uh, Did mean, you at that point think I've got to get out of this? No. No. No, that wasn't. Um, that just was, par for the course. Yeah, that yeah. was just you know I, what I couldn't do was. Um, show weakness as a result of that. Mm-hmm. I had to go back and be uh, uh, more committed and more um, because if you if you're dealing with people that if you show any kind of flight, mm-hmm. um, that you're no good. You know, yeah. so it had to be all fight, no flight, and um, and so that was that was. That's how that went. And um, so, no, I, I wasn't afraid of, of dying. I wasn't afraid of um, any of those things. All I can really say is that I was afraid of what I was going to lose as far as love. You know, I'd always hoped to find love. I'd always hoped to find uh, what that looks like. And so weird that even though I didn't know the Lord, I didn't know anything like that. I kind of always knew that I belonged to him. It was weird. That's cool, wow. though. People would say stuff about going to hell, and my comment would always be, I'm not going to hell. Mm. And they're like, but your life says you are. Yeah, I know. Right. And there, right. there's nothing about right. my life that would say anything different except that I just knew. That's And really I don't cool. know. I've always had this picture of the future not exactly what it would look like, but that there was one. I never lost sight of the fact that there was a future. 
that there was a day that things would be different, that there were a day, a, a day that things would be better, uh, that I've always known I'm not like everybody else, uh, you, for better or worse. And Do you think that, you know, being rooted, even, even though it was, you know, in this denomination and even though it was warped, in, in some of the politics and the leadership that you experienced, do you think that at the very core, your spirit knew who Jesus was, like had an introduction to Jesus, and so you that's what your soul was just class clinging to all those years of insecurity? Yeah, I think... I think um... Because that's my experience, too, and I didn't know it until I'm 40. Yeah. That that's what happened. I had a dream when I was a kid... Um... I had a dream that I was in a uh, a white room, and I was being um, stalked by a lion. And um, mm. the lion was walking back and forth, and I, I always just assumed uh, that the lion was a picture of the devil when I was younger. Um, it wasn't until later on I realized that the lion was Jesus. Mm-hmm. And... And to say that I've been stalked um, my whole life would be the truth. He he walked into my situation and into my life, and he walked me out without a scar. Mm. I mean, I got a lot of scars, but there's not without. I, I've never. <laughs> I've never had stitches. I've never broken a bone. I've never been sick more than two or three days in my entire life. Mm. I have never, I've been, there are times when I should, like many times that I should be dead. I've overdosed on pills. I've done everything that you can think of to throw my life away. And every time I turn around, he's right there. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I had this dream that I was being stalked by a lion and, and as he came close to me, um, it turned into a man, and he dipped his hand in blood, and he wiped it across my face. And uh, I will never forget that. Um, I've been marked my whole life. I have been guarded and protected my whole life. And that's, that's, a, that's a grace that it'll never add up. It'll mm-hmm. never be equal. I will never deserve... The things that I have in my life, I, I will never be good enough to make up for it. Um, but knowing that I don't have to be, mm-hmm. and knowing that he didn't do that because of how good I am, but because of how good he is, mm-hmm. that's a love that just is unexplainable. Unexplainable. It is. Unexplainable. It, I was talking to Jen recently, like, I want, and and I was sharing this with one of our small groups. We have an Enneagram small group. And I was like, I want to write out like how you have this personal revelation of that kind of understanding. Um, and I haven't arrived. I know that there's just more depths to to who Jesus is to me. But but I, ha- I have recently had this incredible, overwhelming understanding of Jesus being in my situation always. And I didn't know that, you know, I never knew that as an adult or as, as, as life was happening, but I was introduced to Jesus at nine and it was kind of a flippant experience. Mm -hmm. It was very traditional. You go to a 
Baptist VBS and they evangelize and they tell you who he is and and you know you need him and um and I what I didn't know was that that was at a time in my life that I I did I didn't know that I I just didn't know that I was not introduced to this ethereal spiritual thing it was a um it was a man that came to save me in all these situations that were happening mm-hmm. and I had no idea till later uh so so now as an adult i have this overwhelming gratitude and understanding and clarity of jesus was in all those situations Mm -hmm. that sounds so weird to say like Mm -hmm. jesus was there jesus was there when you were Mm -hmm. in that affair jesus was there when you like what was he doing standing by i don't know how to explain (laughs) that he was there when trauma is happening and Mm -hmm. um but the trauma still happens Mm -hmm. um except that uh god I don't know. My spirit knows that, and 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 there was just a lot of healing and clarity in that. And I, I hope everybody has an encounter like that, like an understanding of how there he's always, always, always been. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say maybe you could speak to that, like to anyone who's listening, um, maybe who's walked through some of the things that you've walked through, mm-hmm. and maybe are in it right now. You know, um, just speaking that favor and that grace. Um, encouraging them that it does get better but even in this jesus is with you mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. it is it, it's a hard concept to think about that even in the middle of the dirt and even in the middle mm-hmm. of the things that you know are not right about your life whether they're your fault or whether they're not um <laughs> if you turn right now you will bump into them. it's it's just so it, Darkness, the Bible says that the light shined in the darkness, mm-hmm. and the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness could not extinguish it. That is the truest form of, I would say, my picture of Jesus than, than, than any other that I've heard. That there is a light that can snatch you out of the darkest of the dark. Mm-hmm. And I've been dark a lot. I've been dark a lot when it's my fault. I've been dark a lot when it's not my fault. Mm-hmm. And that has never made a difference. He is not persuaded by whether it's your fault or not. He is not moved by how dark the darkness is or, or his ability to, um, to, to pull you out. He is not moved by any of that. He is moved by the deepest love that you will ever imagine in your life. <laughs> For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yeah. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Not whoever believes in him and does it all right or gets it mm-hmm. all right. Whoever believes in him and doesn't go back, no, there, there's none of that. It's plain and simple. Yeah. And that's a goodness and a grace that that is just far beyond imagining. So wherever you're at right now, it doesn't uh, it doesn't matter how deep or how dark or how long or how ongoing this has been or how many things that you did to make it happen. None of that matters. Mm-hmm. None of so it matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it never has and it never will. Um, get over yourself. You are not powerful enough to pull yourself out of his hand. That's right. Um, he is right now the lion who is stalking you. I love that. And um, I didn't know, I know of your appreciation and your affinity toward lions, yeah. but I didn't know the root cause of that. So that's yeah. really, really cool. Yeah. Really that's, cool. Uh, that's, the, that's where it all started. So and, uh, we, you were on this path. Yes. 
When did light begin to shine and you started walking towards that light out of the darkness? Uh, um, there were a lot of good experiences that I had in that time. It wasn't all, um, it wasn't all dark. Um, I, my uncle at the time was a youth pastor and uh, who, strangely enough, my uncle and my dad were both in the ministry. And, um, so he was having a mission trip to Mexico and um, he had asked me to come along with him because, you know, I, it wasn't because of, you know, I wanted to be in the mission trip or take part of any of that. It was because he was going to a country and needed someone to go with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we, he took a whole group of y- young people there. And in that young people were um, Sarah Marshall, uh, at the time Sarah Harmon. In that young people were David Salinas, mm-hmm. Richard Johnson, um, some of the best friends you could ever ask for in a million years and I I went to that experience just to guard my uncle and I ended up with this awesome experience of people who n- knew somewhat of who I was but didn't seem to care mm-hmm. um, you know I wasn't used to people um, treating me normal and it just felt nice to be normal it felt nice to know that there were people who wanted to spend time with you because they wanted to and not because they were afraid not to Mm-hmm. And um, they didn't want anything from me, and uh, so I had I had that experience, uh, which was unique. And David and I got really close, and uh, so that was kind of the first time that I experienced church um, when I didn't have to go, when I wasn't being made to go, mm-hmm. and it was just a great experience. <coughs> and so I came back. Excuse me. And um, uh, Sarah and I were dating. Um, and um, that was okay, you know. It was it was good. And then she moved, and uh, again, it was like this love had just left my life. And so that was the first glimpse of light. It didn't change my situation. Mm-hmm. It didn't change what I was doing. It didn't change any of that. Um, it uh, it definitely changed my outlook on things, and my mind started to change about people. My mind started to change about situations and what I was actually doing and involving myself in. So you were still running with the uncles? Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I, that was that was up until um, last year. No, <laughs> no I'm just unofficially, the uh, about a year after I got married. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. I feel like I keep saying wow, but lots <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that was. Uh, in fact, uh, it might have even been um, it might have even been right before Silas was born, uh, and even then there were still ties. It just wasn't you know what it was, and um, I had dis- distanced myself quite a bit as much as I could because I never wanted Sarah to be involved in any of that. Mm-hmm. I never wanted um, you just couldn't have things. You couldn't have people that you love and be a part of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. because the chances of them ending up hurt or hurt worse or worse mm-hmm. is um, is very high. Yeah. Um, so it really, you know, when I got back into church because of her, and we we started going back to church. And if you're listening to this, and you're a young lady um, that uh, has your eyes on a boy, he will come to church with you. I promise. Invite him. <laughs> Um, Happened for me. Yeah. Happened for you. <laughs> I'm telling you, nothing will get a young man in church more than a, a cute little girl who wants him to come. And so uh, I just started being in that environment more, in the church environment more. And then, you know, I would leave there and go straight to doing whatever, I, you know, 
Um, did Sarah, was she, did she have any idea? She knew. Yeah. Uh, she didn't know everything, but she knew. I mean, mm -hmm. she, uh, um, you know, there were some sketch characters there. I, um, at that point in time, um, things had gone really, really downhill because um, my best friend, uh, Robert, he uh, was killed on a motorcycle. Um, in a motorcycle accident, and uh, that sort of changed the dynamic of the relationship between me and the uncles and the rest of the family. Mm -hmm. um, and when I say the family, I mean the, mm -hmm. the whole family. Mm -hmm. and, um, Do you see that now as like a like a way like that was your way out? No, that made it harder. It did um, because I was a reminder of um, of him and their life. Oh. And so the the idea of walking away from from them became almost impossible. Really. Um, not because of any other reason than than I was their last tie to 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 him, and they had gone their whole lives without him, and then it was just a few short years, and then he you know he died. Wow. And so it was that made it even in my mind. It was never expressed to me that way, but I knew. That that I had to maintain relationship um, for that reason. I couldn't just walk away, and mm -hmm. uh, until the day came that I did, and I just walked away and never came back. And, and they let you. And they let me. And and that's the favor you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Because that doesn't happen. Un it does unreal. not happen. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, actually in in Walmart. Um, I was in Walmart with my wife. Uh, and uh, we had just been married probably a few short months, and uh, we were checking out, and I looked over the uh, toward the restrooms, and there was um, a person there that I desperately never wanted to see in my life. And I told Sarah, um, I said, you need to go to the car, and uh, if I'm not out uh, in 10 minutes, I'm not coming out. And... Uh, I love you. And she looked at me and she looked at him and she went and got in the car. Mm. And so there was no no way I could just act like I didn't see him. There was no mm -hmm. way I could do any of that. And so I came, um, you know, she took the groceries, went out to the car, and he waited for me. And I walked up and talked to him. And he said, I understand you're done. And I said, yes, I am. I am done. And it's time for me to live my life and it's time for me to live a different life and he said um, okay and as I was he, of course he gave me a big hug and he cried and um, it was just a different so dynamic oh weird yeah yeah, mm. yeah. He, I mean to, to say that you find love in weird places you do mm -hmm. people are capable of love um, no matter who they are what they look like or what you think of them they are capable of love that you cannot understand and and uh, he said, pray for me that someday I can walk out. Have you? Yeah. Have I prayed for him? Um, that's a good question. I don't remember doing it. Mm. Um, I wasn't trying to put you on the spot. No, I just, think, I just, I just <laughs> think that sometimes that's something that people say. I don't know mm. if he even knew what he meant. Um, mm. But I've never seen him since. Um, I have seen the uncles at weddings. I've, uh, um, he had a little brother, uh, Robert, that uh, I was very close to. Uh, 
uh, still to this day, very cool, um, no problem. So, so when I think of favor, and I, I mentioned this while we were, you know, before we started recording, but um, I, I, when I think of favor, I think of Brandon Marshall often because mm. it rolls off your tongue. It's part of your DNA. Like it's just synonymous with who you are um, because of how much you believe in the favor of God in your life. Um, and so I, I, I pray over my kids all the time. And when I say favor is for life and so shall you always find it, I say that in my mm-hmm. head with Brandon Marshall's booming voice. So could you say favors for life so they can know <laughs> what I hear when I say that over my kids? Oh, hundred percent. Um, how do you right now? Yeah. Like you say, this is okay. This is when I'm saying to my kids, favors for life. And so shall you always find it. This is how oh, I hear it. Favor is for life. And so shall you find it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very That's white. scripture. Very white saying favor. It's yeah. so good. I, no, I, just, I love it. His favor yeah, is for it. life. I yeah. mean, and that's yeah. what the, the promise is that we will find it. We will find favor with God and man. And um, it's so true. It, it's, it cannot be explained. I, I wish that I could tell you how things in my life um, progressed and how situations worked out. The truth is that there is no explanation. Mm-hmm. They just did. Mm-hmm. Because things happen for me that don't happen for normal people. Mm-hmm. Because favor is for life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And once you discover that and you realize that it's available, you start to look for it. And, you know, people, you know, the Bible would use statements like, so shall you find it. So shall you find favor. Favor is found because favor is looked for. Mm, and that's good. And when you, when you find that you cannot you absolutely will never want to live without it and it's available it's not i'm not special or unique in that it's available to all of god's people you're gonna bump into it just like yeah i I would say favor stalks you all the days of your life kind of like how how you describe that lion i think that is synonymous with favor too you'll just Mm -hmm. bump into it if you're looking yeah and i have done more than probably anybody you know to throw life away and yet somehow (laughs) <laughs> this magnet of God's favor always finds me. Mm-hmm. It's like I cannot escape it. It's beautiful. I don't ever want to. Don't get me wrong, but it's I just can't. You just can't. You cannot outrun him. You cannot outrun his goodness. And I'm just I'm overwhelmed by by who he is and where I am in life. You know, I I went from those moments to being in church to um, um, that progressed to one day. Um, our pastor who we had, we had served under, my uncle served under, uh, stood up in front of the whole church and resigned, uh, about a week after my uncle had split off and started his own church. And so there was a lot of pressure on Sarah and I, uh, to either go with my uncle's church or stay here. Um, we decided to stay at the church and I would say a week, maybe a month or two, uh, after that happened, um, that pastor resigned. And I was like, okay, now what? And in walks this cowboy uh, with these long arms, these great big hands. <laughs> and I was like, what are, what are we doing? I, I had I had never, you know, met anybody that boisterous. And he prayed the same prayer at the end of the service, and I could almost quote it. Um, I I didn't know what to think. 
and we had the opportunity at that point to leave and go with my uncle and it makes sense now instead of starting something different um, but we decided to hang out because we you know started developing relationships with people like Eric and Derek and Jennifer and you guys and um, one day um, we were in the back of the, the fellowship hall and, and Pastor John T. Holler uh, the best to ever do it put his hands around my, my uh, shoulders and um, that was the first time I realized how long his arms were because I felt like I was in the grip of like an orangutan you know and he said if you'll stay with me I promise I have a plan for you I had up until that point in my life people had plans that included me People had plans that revolved around me. People had plans that, but it was always about their agenda and what I could do to serve their purpose. That is the first time anybody ever told me that there was a plan for me. Wow. And so I had no idea what that meant, but we stayed. And it was a few months after that that Jennifer approached and said, hey, you know, there's this children's church thing. Do you want to do it? And I said, yes. And I did it and I enjoyed it. And um, that led to um, Eric saying, hey, uh, why, don't you, why don't you preach to the youth group? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't really preach. And he goes, no, I want you to try it. Would you try it? And I said, sure. And uh, so I did. And I worked to prepare a message. Nobody, I never, you know, Scott Boney at the time helped me put together a message. And, and, um, I did it, and I stood in front of those youth, and there were probably 100 kids in there. And I watched, I saw their lives change. I was saying things that I didn't know how to say, that I had no clue, and it was effective. And up until then, I had always wanted to be somebody else, always. I'd always wanted somebody else's life. Even when I was little, I would change my name. And it would drive my mama crazy. You know, I'd tell people my name was all these other things, and, and she never understood why, and I didn't either. But I was always, I'd always valued um, someone else's life uh, more than my own, and mm-hmm. I didn't want to be me until that day. Wow. That was the day that I look back and say, in that moment, I didn't want to be anybody else. And I knew that that would be a part of my life uh, from now until forever. Mm-hmm. And so I just gave myself to it. And I, you know, stayed um, around these great men who cultivated and, and helped me to discover that and encouraged me. Even when I know that I missed the mark, they still encouraged me. And, um, you know, that's where I learned grace. That's what I was going to say. Like, um, my dad coming into your life mm-hmm. at that point, you know, you didn't understand why you had been favored but i think that's when the revelation of that yeah really hit you yeah we we would have conversations i remember uh you know we'd be at eric and heather's house and there'd be conversations about um once you're saved can you still go to hell and like all this stuff and that was the way sort of we were raised i I thought that that's the way it was and um but it wasn't that way Mm -hmm. and when i heard the grace message for the first time i was so taken back but just the more that we stayed in that message of grace and faith and favor and all these things, the more it started to make sense to me until 
when you look at it. And once you get that revelation, once you have an understanding and a revelation of the true grace of God, mm-hmm. nothing else makes sense. Nothing else somebody says. Yeah. It's like an immediate bump into this wall of grace. And it's like, that's not true. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. funny that you're saying that because I was thinking, I remember having to defend and like que- defend those questions from other people. Um, and I'm thinking now, like, I can't even, that just seems like a whole nother life because that doesn't, it's been so a part of who, who I am now, understanding the grace of God, especially around the, the conversation of eternal security. It's funny to me that that was ever even, yeah, like, that is so, mm-hmm. I was thinking, do people even ask that question now? I don't know, because I've been so ingrained in, it's not. It's just not even a topic of conversation ever. Mm-hmm. There are so many, so many people who still don't know, yeah. who still have this thought process that it's about you doing all the right things. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, I just got so exhausted with trying to be a Christian when I was little that I knew I was going to hell. Just forget I mean, it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, you just, I mean, I always knew I would end up in heaven and not go to hell, but I knew that like. It was going to take something, a, a moment or a some significant change because for me to keep up with how many times I have to ask forgiveness, for me to keep up with how much uh, wrong I've done and all that, it's it, it impossible. And it just got exhausting. And I was like, look, if I'm not going to make it, then I'm at least going to, you know, enjoy not making it. And um, anyway, but yeah, so that that moment was really kind of the moment that changed the rest of my life. And I started preaching on a regular basis, and Pastor John and, and Eric and people like him uh, would provide opportunities. And I was introduced to the prophetic and all these different things that were just like mind blowing to me that God would speak through people. And mm-hmm. I just I gave my life to it. I gave my life to the art of storytelling. I was in a band with Jamie Goldenberg, Scott Boney, Eric Holler, and Pastor John. And they were telling stories back and forth. And we went into a gas station. And Jamie Goldenberg was telling an illustration to Pastor John about a fig tree. And I don't even remember what it was. But I got back in the van full of these pastors. There were probably six or eight people in there. And I was nobody at that time. I was just along for the ride. And and um, I heard I overheard Jamie's story. And so when I got into the van, I said, hey, let me tell you guys this revelation about this fig tree. Mm-hmm. And I started telling Jamie's story. And Pastor John, and I said, so I said, I want to tell you all about this revelation. And Pastor John goes, go for it. And I was (laughs) embarrassed because I was kidding. I was joking. I was doing that as a joke. And Uh Pastor John was like, go for it, son. Let's hear it. And I was put on the spot, and I had nothing. And I knew at that point, I was like, that will never happen to me again. (laughs) If I'm going to be excellent at anything, it is going to be telling stories. Mm -hmm. And so I started uh, telling stories, and I started practicing. I started doing all these things. And so that's kind of been the... the I love that that you're even saying that, because when I I think about um, something that you told me a long time ago... um, you said always have something in your back pocket Mm -hmm. always. And, and, and so I have carried that thought with me um, because you want to be ready in season and out. And, um, and I think that's part of the, the birthing of this podcast even is the idea to hear other people's stories, share our own stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we, we, there's power in telling stories, which is how, how, you know, we even had the conversation about you Mm -hmm. talking about your past today was just like stories change the world and you get to be a part of that so oh absolutely dad had such a gift of pulling 
purpose and identity out of people um, truly, like, anointed to do that. Like nobody I've ever met. Yeah. Like nobody. It makes me want to do that for other people. Mm -hmm. I have dedicated a portion of my life to listening to people and and trying to help them discover something because that's what happened for me. Yeah. You know, if I can help somebody with that aha moment that changes life and um, that they know that there's more than what they're experiencing now and and truly find why you're here and what you're made to do. Mm -hmm. And I have no, no doubt. I have none. Uh, You know, I've, I've lived a lot of lifetimes I've been through a lot of stuff in this journey of trying to figure out who I am and why I'm here. There's no question to me. None. This is, I wasn't just taught to do this, even though I was. I wasn't just groomed and trained to do this, even though I was born to do this. And I can be, say that with 100% certainty. So in summarizing kind of where you are now, you have, um, you became the youth pastor at yes, that church under yeah. John T. Holler, mm-hmm. um, Cornerstone Worship Center at the time, <laughs> um, and served faithfully in that role into an associate pastor mm-hmm. role, into the men's ministry, mm-hmm. into leading a, an, an entire congregation for one of our campuses. You did a lot of that. And then um, now, though, you've taken that skill, those skills, and harness them into this corporate environment Mm -hmm. where you get to speak on platforms to thousands of people all the time as the keynote for these big, huge um, corporate shows. And Mm -hmm. it's pretty spectacular, pretty spectacular. Yeah, it's, um, gosh, it's a dream. I mean, I always used to struggle with the ministry versus business side of myself because I always enjoyed being in business. I enjoyed, you know, making it happen and, and growing business, and I, but I also love the ministry. And I used to think that I had to choose, like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, and it was like a pendulum would swing, you know, one day or one week or one season, like everything was about business and the church was an afterthought and, like, I, I didn't have time. And, and then <clears throat> the very next season, the church was everything, and that's all I wanted to do was ministry, And but I still needed to make a living. And it, I was always torn and sort of felt out of place, and I was like, how how am I going to do this? And the ultimate answer is to bring both of those worlds together. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that we do is ministry. I love it. You know, people think that ministry is full-time ministry. Say that and again. Pastor, what would you like me to say? Everything we do is ministry. Everything that we do is ministry. I think that's really important for people to <clears throat> to understand is like no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing as a living, yeah. you have this opportunity to bring Jesus to people. Mm-hmm. You know, you sat in my chair many times. Kat sat in my chair many times at the salon. Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> When I switched my thinking from this is my job to this is ministry, it, it brought new life to that for me. Sure. And so, you know, if you're listening, no matter what you're doing in the world, um, it's an opportunity to bring Jesus mm-hmm. uh, in whatever way that, whatever that mm-hmm. looks like to people. Yeah. And, and um, I, yeah, and you don't have to be in full-time ministry to be a minister. That's no. correct. I listened to um, somebody else share their story recently, and they, they had a huge platform, and it was gone the next day uh, some tragic things happened and so she she had this revelation of how she could be Jesus to other people mm-hmm. um, when she didn't have a platform when she mm-hmm. didn't have a book mm-hmm. when she didn't have this big giant name mm-hmm. behind her uh, and she she said in my sorrow I was she was also walking through stage four cancer 
Mm. And she said the guy at Costco was like, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? And she's like, I'm fine. And she, he goes, no, but really, how are you doing? And he pulled out his cancer card. And, and so they got to exchange ideas. And she said he was Jesus to me that day. And then she went and picked mm-hmm. up her meds one time at CVS, and the girl behind the counter had an encounter with her, and she said she was Jesus to me that day. So it was all these little moments mm-hmm. where she was seeing people be Jesus to her that mm-hmm. she was like, I can be Jesus to anybody, anywhere, anytime. I don't, I don't, the plat- if I never have the platform again, it doesn't change mm-hmm. my mission. It mm-hmm. doesn't change why I'm here on this planet. Mm-hmm. And so she just started involving her, like talking about what we talked about at brunch a few weeks ago. Um, which is God, show me an encounter. Show me who you want me to encounter mm-hmm. today. Who can I, who can I encounter today, and mm-hmm. and and be Jesus to today? And so I just yeah, think I mean, that's it can, powerful. It can take the most mundane job or having to go to the grocery store and and turning it into God. Who do you want me to see right now? Mm-hmm. And it's exciting. And it, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Highlight them for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It's really cool. Well. Um, if there is there anything else you want to add to any of that? Because that was rich. Uh, I would say, above all, um, be who you were designed to be. Yeah. That's probably made the biggest difference in my life is not trying to be someone I'm not. Yeah. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people who could do it better than me. Um, but there's nobody who can do it like me. That's right. And, that's right. um, and that's the truth about every aspect of your life. You're the only one that can do you. And you are enough right where you are. You're mm-hmm. already equipped. You already possess everything that you need to live out and work out God's plan in your life. And you just have to learn how to pull those things out and offer them and be willing to say yes, even if you don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. That's good. Because um, it, could, it could definitely change the rest of your life. No question. I'm reading a book called UBU. And that's the summary of it. And, uh, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. The but. world will never open up for the you that you pretend to be. That's the truth. That's good. Yeah. But the moment that you offer, the most beautiful gift you will ever offer Earth is the you that you were designed to be, the authentic, real version of yourself. And um, I know I'm an acquired taste. I get it. Like, I'm not <laughs> for everybody. But um, for those that I am for, I hope that uh, that I impact their life in a way that um, that they're never the same. Um, and when when I'm done doing that, then um, I can go to heaven. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty much it. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I like to take notes during these conversations so that I can, you know, be able to reflect on what my favorite parts were. And I didn't do that because we were in such. I know the presence of storytelling that I didn't do that so I have to go back and listen to talk about my favorite parts but Mm -hmm. um you know we did try to preface or prepare you for a question that we ask every one of our guests oh yeah you ready for that sure (laughs) okay so if you could time capsule your life right now for it to be open to 10 years from now what would you put in it that you would want to remember okay I do remember that question now um (laughs) If I could time capsule my life right now, I would time capsule my children at the age that they are right now. Which you need to share because this is great. Oh, gosh. I have, uh, so Silas, who uh, uh, a lot of people know because he's a popular kid. He's 16. (laughs) He just turned 16. Uh, My baby girl, AJ, uh, is nine. 
and uh, and then we have Lincoln, who's three, because we just never learn. <laughs> and, uh, and Lincoln, it, he's just so full of life, and so uh, they're all different personalities, but he is just rough and tumble and sweet and crawl up in your lap and kiss your face and turn right around and punch you in the nose and just he's just full of full i've never of life. seen so many safety features in a home oh yeah no he like he, i'm telling you that's he will not get enough into it. <laughs> it's not enough i have i feel like i have a special connection with that kid i love him so much he's so he great. just a great kid and he's just full of life and um if he was if he was born first he would be an only child what's really special though i think is cool for you and you've probably thought about this but uh you know you you talked about your your relationship with your brother and your sister and how how you know how much you love them Mm -hmm. and you were much old i don't know if you were much older but you had kids way way on before then and then lincoln comes along Mm -hmm. and your brother has a baby boy and your sister has a baby girl and so you guys are getting to raise Mm -hmm. these toddlers together in the same season i think that's really cool yeah that's a that's a neat dynamic Uh, my sister and i live in the same town and um so she watches lincoln uh during the day with my nephew and my niece and so they he gets to be raised around his cousins which is a a cool dynamic we had never lived in the same town and so it's a um, it's a neat thing to be that it's close cool. to family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on the other side of that, Sarah's sisters both have toddlers too. Yes, like it's just yeah. really cool how that all. Yeah, we knew if out. we kept, you know, if we if we kept at it, eventually we we get something right. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're they're it's they're amazing right now the way they are, and um, it's sad to think about them um, getting older. And so I, if I could time capsule them and visit them in ten years and visit. You know Lincoln's uh, sweet face and um, Silas's, you know, coming into his macho and, and like all that. It's just it's a really, um, really cool experience. What are the other two, two more things? things? Oh, two more things. I'm sorry, I thought I had to do one. Oh, you thought um, your three kids were the three? No, kids? yeah, no. Um, if I could time capsule where I'm at right now, um, another thing would be. Um, I think that that the ideas that I have now about the future, um, I would like to be able to compare them 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would like to be able to write them down and say, this is the way I see it, um, and then be able to pull them out and see how close I got. That's cool. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think that would be a, a very cool thing. I think I challenge you to do that. I did that, um, last year. Oh, really? And it's and it was overwhelming even to be a year later and think about, because I you know the way I the way I map out ten years ahead is by my children. So I'm like Libby would be, eighteen and, um and that would that would be her. We'd be going into her senior year and so I realized I had ten years left with her and now now I only have nine and I'm about to only have eight like with all the kids gone and you're closer to that than I am and mm-hmm. you're further. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be, uh, I'll be 58, or, uh, yeah, 58 when Lincoln graduates high school, which is insane. So, um, I'll be 53 when Max does. 
Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not too far off from that. Well, your years have been kinder to you, I feel like. Than they have me. I, think you're, I think your 53 is going to be awesome. Uh, <laughs> no, I was thinking about your forehead. You don't look like you have had Botox. You look great. Oh, no. I, I appreciate I have, it. But yeah, I was like, oh. All this gray hair. If you could see all the gray hair on my face, you would know. And they, That's they're wisdom all, right they're there. Earned, I <laughs> okay, last thing. Um, I would I would time capsule just the overwhelming grateful feeling that I get when I'm standing in front of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't ever want that to go away. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to feel entitled to it or that it's not special. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want it to become run of the mill and ordinary. I, I always want to be blown away with the the those moments of affecting people's lives. Um, so 10 years from now, I don't know how many times I will have done it. I assume that there will be a lot more. But I always want to be grateful for that moment. I don't ever want to um, take it for granted and, and or, or any of that because it is so special. I love that. Um, I heard Pastor Chris Hodges say that he has a like a plaque backstage from before he goes out on the stage, and it says like um, something along those lines of just like, I get to do this. Yeah. I'm so grateful that I get to do this, you know, and and uh, I think whatever whatever you're doing, you know, to just remain grateful for whatever God has put in your hands to do. Remembering your why helps you yeah, do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. Uh, I can promise you that I have never prepared more for a crowd of hundreds or thousands than I have for a crowd of ten. Mm-hmm. And I think God has always honored that. Mm-hmm. I've never said no, and. Just being faithful in that to, you know, when people would laugh at me for driving 100 miles to go talk to a youth group of eight people, they couldn't understand why. Um, they they don't understand what it's like to, uh, you know, talk on the high school bleachers to uh, kids who don't even care that you're there and still deliver it or be in a nursing home where people have forgotten and, and mm-hmm. give everything you've got to uh, these people who may or may not understand. They don't understand that. Mm-hmm. Um but when you stand in front of thousands of people and you look back on what that is, I will always know mm-hmm. that God honored my faithfulness to be able to do that. I can't do a lot of things in life. I'm not the most talented at this. I'm not the most you know, charismatic in all these things. But the one thing that I can do is I can be faithful. I can do it day in and day out. I can never give up and never quit. I can push forward and I can give it my all. That's what I can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, and I think God has always been, <laughs> He's always been faithful to honor that. Um, never let me down. So good. When you're faithful over the little, He makes you rule, rule over, over much. much. Yeah. And I think you know that's. I think people can lose sight of that whenever they're in something that feels small. Oh yeah. But being faithful in the small is what takes you to where you are now. Being faithful over much is easy. Mm-hmm. Ruling much is easy because much creates the energy to be faithful over. That's it. right. That's, That's really right. Good. Mm-hmm. It creates this energy of mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, you know. I mean, dude, when you've got that brand new Mercedes SL 500 in the driveway, you want to wash that thing. You want to take care of it and all mm-hmm. that. But when you got the 1984 Doodoo Brown Cavalier with a donut <laughs> tire, like it's mm-hmm. you know. But I will tell you, the only way to ever rule much is to learn how to be faithful over little. Mm-hmm. For sure. And That's don't ever look wisdom. down. Mike, <laughs> drop. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Gosh, we love you as a friend and um, as a great storyteller. And yeah, we we yeah we appreciate you sharing your heart and your transparency with us, wow. and trusting us. Yeah, I know that you love me, and um, and that's important to me. And I hope that you always know that I love you too. Yeah. And if sure. you can ever count on anything, count on the fact that I love you and I love you deeply. And um, that goes to all of you listeners, too, um, <laughs> that uh, love is, and uh, I appreciate it. Man, if this impacted you, which I don't know how it didn't. If it didn't, then you need to listen to it again. But share this with somebody because it mm-hmm. it really is um, – it's a rich episode. This is a good conversation. A lot of – a lot of on a lot of things adversity and favor mm-hmm. and wisdom just a bunch so um yeah share it yeah <laughs> thank you all right thanks be marshall okay i told you that episode did not disappoint uh we want to just thank you guys for listening and joining us on another conversation here at the awake podcast we're so honored that you are on this journey with us and and we want to tell you um, one of the ways that that you can help us and show your appreciation is by writing a review Um, you can also uh, click five stars i don't even know where you click five stars but click five stars and and then subscribe because every time we release a podcast, you'll get a notification. And when you subscribe and when you like, and when you share this, that helps other people know about these conversations. We believe these conversations are important to our, our world right now. And there are people that need to hear wisdom, revelation, and knowledge and, and be encouraged and empowered through the different, uh, voices and conversations that that we have for you on this podcast so we appreciate you we love you thank you for being part of the journey with us